Well, we're starting a new sermon series today, and I'm really excited about it. It's called uh, Songs for the Journey. Songs for the Journey. I love this graphic. Um, it's designed by our, uh, our graphic designer, Chris Porter. I love it. It's very Tolkien-esque, don't you think? I love it. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why um, I'm excited about this series. It's based on the Psalms of Ascent, which is a little group of psalms in the back of the Psalter, 15 Psalms, Psalm 120 through 134. Um, first of all, we've loosely based the series on Eugene Peterson's now really famous book, um, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That is a book that had a big impact on me and my own personal faith when I was a college student. And I know many of you um, have been personally impacted by that book, so I'm excited about that. Um, and that's why we are going to be reading the Psalms in Eugene Peterson's own translation, um, the message translation. But the second reason why I'm excited about this series is because in many ways it meets us at the place that we find ourselves right now. Uh, so many of us are feeling restless. In fact, a friend said this week, that very thing, I'm feeling restless, restless and displaced. Uh, we're all feeling like things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And these psalms remind us that that's okay because we are not at home. We are pilgrim people, people who are on a journey. When these psalms were written, uh, the Israelites lived scattered all around the ancient world at the time. And yet, faithful Israelites every year, three times a year, for the three main Jewish festivals, would make a pilgrimage, a journey, a road trip, if you will, from all the scattered places, making their way back to Jerusalem, to the house of God. And it was literally an ascent. That's why they're called songs of ascent. It was an ascent because Jerusalem and the temple were at the highest place of the known world at the time. And they would often make these long treks through dry and difficult places to get there. It's a serious road trip. And what do you need for every road trip? You need a great playlist, right? And these psalms were the playlist of the people of God as they made their way to the house of God. These were the songs that they sang for their journey. What we want to suggest to you this summer, friends, is that this can be our playlist too. That these songs can be songs that we sing on our journey. These psalms remind us that we are a pilgrim people. The life of faith with Jesus is not a life of settling down. It's a life of, it's not a life of getting comfortable. It's a life on the road. It's a life of movement. It's a life of progress. We're not called to settle down into spiritual stagnation, but rather the life with Jesus is a life of pursuit, a life of movement, a life of transformation as we follow Jesus on the way. To use Paul's language from Philippians 4, we are straining forward to what lies ahead, pressing towards the goal in the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Hear that, friends? We are pilgrims. We're vagabonds. We are not at home in this world as it currently stands. We are on an upward journey traveling towards Jesus and his kingdom. So these songs teach us how to sing. How to sing on the journey. How to navigate the ups and downs and the twists and the turns. And how to endure and how to keep going and how to fight and how to hope. These are songs for our journey. So we're going to start at the beginning. Start at Psalm 120. And here's my big idea for today. The journey for the disciple is always an upward journey from restlessness to rest. I'll say that again. The journey of the disciple is always an upward journey 
from restlessness to rest. So let's just begin. This psalm, uh, you might have heard, as Lesuela read it, is not a happy psalm. Peterson says, this is not a beautiful song. It is harsh. It is discordant. But it gets things started. It start, I mean, just look at it. It's, the very beginning says, in my distress, in my trouble. And then at the very end of the psalm, it ends with, there is war. And so you got distress at the beginning, you got war at the end, in the middle you got liars, curses, and conflict. So this person is distressed. He is upset. Uh, he is restless. He is not in Jerusalem. He is not in God's house. He is far away from his home. He finds himself in a distant land that is hostile and difficult and, and, and is full of pain and sorrow. We're not sure where he is. It says in verse 5, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Um, those two places actually were hundreds of miles apart from each other. There's no way that he could have been in both of those places at the same time. And so the psalmist is clearly choosing two symbolic places that represent all the difficult places that God's people find themselves living that are hostile, painful, evil, and difficult. He's looking around him. He's looking at all the hate, all the cruelty, all the hostility, all the aggression, all the war, and he's just saying, why do I have to live here? I don't want to be here anymore. Get me out of here. I hate this place. Deliver me, O God. And what this psalm is showing us is that this agitation, this restlessness and frustration about the way things are is actually the beginning of the Christian journey. It's the beginning of our pilgrimage. I love what Eugene Peterson says. He says, you have to get fed up with the way the world is before you acquire an appetite for the world of grace. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, you'll never want to be a disciple of Jesus. You'll never want to be motivated to leave it all behind and follow him. Unless you are just fed up with the way things are and you want to follow Jesus to a, a new way. Discipleship begins with restlessness. You know, um, as hard as the last 14 weeks have been, I think a lot of us would say they've been some of the hardest of our lives. One of the things I'm grateful for is that the last 14 weeks have stirred up a restlessness in many of us. Uh, a friend of mine, her name's Amy Sherman. She's an author and she's sort of a public intellectual and she works with Christian nonprofits. And she says that when you read the New Testament, you see the posture all over the place of holy agitation. You see, you see a church that was, uh, was persecuted, a church that was disturbed, a church that was intimately acquainted with poverty and with suffering. And so when you read the New Testament, what you realize is that every person writing in the New Testament is agitated. They're frustrated about the way things are, and they are constantly crying out for Jesus to come because they are not happy with the way things are as they stand. And Amy goes on to say, now keep this in mind, she wrote this a couple of years ago, that unfortunately this agitation is not the typical posture of the American congregation. This is what she writes. She says, uh, we do not long fervently for the consummation of Christ's kingdom because we're really rather happy just the way things are. American abundance and affluence anesthetize us. She's saying, like, we, we just aren't agitated as American Christians a lot because, hey, life's good. Until recently, though, right? 
Because what the last 14 weeks have done, perhaps more than ever, is they have stirred up a frustration, an agitation, a restlessness, an awareness that there's a lot about life that isn't good. There's a lot about the world that is broken, and there's a lot about the things around us that they are not the way they're supposed to be. And perhaps some of us are more agitated and restless and discontent than we've ever been before. Some of us are restless and agitated because of COVID, and we're just so sick of it. We're just so sick of not being back in the way things used to be. We're tired of being cooped up in our homes. Our kids are bouncing off the walls. We're just so sick of Netflix anymore. There's nothing else to watch. We're just so restless, and we just want something to get back to normal. Some of us are restless and agitated because we're just so tired of seeing all the division and polarization and conflict in the society and the world around us. And some of us are restless and agitated because we've been made freshly aware of how other people are hurting and are in distress and in pain. You know, after George Floyd was killed, I texted one of my friends who's an African-American just to see how he was doing. And he texted me back, and this is what his text said. He said, man, I'm done. I just can't do this anymore. I am so tired. I'm so exhausted. I am so sick of the burden of being a black man in America. I texted another friend who's a pastor who has two, two little girls. And he said this. He said, my daughter keeps asking me, Daddy, why do they hate us? I'm just so tired. You see their words echoed in this psalm? Listen to the words of the psalm. Why, oh God, must I live here? Why the hatred? Why the brokenness? I just want peace, not war. I want out. See, friends, for many black Americans, this is the way they've been feeling a long, long time. Restlessness and agitation has been a part of the black American experience from the beginning. And when you go back and you look at some of the Negro spirituals, that beautiful art form that's been given to us, it's like they are songs of ascent. They're songs of groaning of people who find themselves in a hostile land. Listen to these words, no more weeping, no more weeping. Before I'd be a slave, I'd be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. See, these are songs of those who know this world as it is, is not their home. And they are wholly agitated, longing for a better kingdom. And so the, this psalm, it, it, it calls us to get in touch with our pain, our restlessness, it calls us to get in touch with the pain and the restlessness of other people who suffer. It stirs up a holy agitation. Again, my friend Amy writes, as we entangle our lives with those who suffer, we can begin to become rightly agitated with the way things are because they are not the way they're supposed to be and more eager for Christ to deliver on his promise to make all things new. So that's the first stage of discipleship, restlessness agitation, a longing discontent with the way things are. So let me ask you, fam, are you fed up? Are you restless? Are you frustrated? Are you angry? That's good. That's good. That's a good place to start the Christian journey because you are ready to pack up your bags and get going after Jesus. Discipleship begins with restlessness. But let's, let's, let's move to the, to the second part because because what do we do with our restlessness? Restlessness alone is not productive. <laughs> restlessness can lead you to do some dumb and stupid things. And so what is the Christian path? What do we what do, we do once we identify with our restlessness? How does God call us on this journey to rest? 
Well, Psalm 120 gives us a few, I think, important resources for our journey. Let's look at them. First of all, one resource is this, is that the psalm calls us to pray your complaints. Pray your complaints. See, restlessness needs an outlet. You need to know what to do with all the emotion and that the agitation stirs up inside of you. And I want you to look at what the psalmist does. Note that he is very angry. He's very fed up. He's very frustrated. But instead of like lashing out on Facebook, uh, uh, instead of sort of brooding and ruminating in his, in his room, he takes his complaints directly to God. I mean, this is raw stuff. Look at verse four. <laughs> He's speaking to his enemies. He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows with burning coals of the broom tree. He's basically relishing in the idea of his enemies being shot with fiery arrows that have been heated with high-grade charcoal. <laughs> Which is sort of ironic because in verse 7, he says, I'm a man of peace. And you're like, dude, I don't think so, <laughs> right? Bro, I don't see much peace in your heart. But see, what's so beautiful about it is that he is not acting out in vengeance. He's not actually doing what he's saying. He's expressing his outrage and frustration to God, not actually doing those actions himself. He, he, and, and he's taking his anguish and frustration directly to God, and he's doing what, what the saints call some holy complaining. Some holy complaining. Have you done that? It's so good for us to do. It's the ancient practice of lament. You know, when you take your anguish to God, you're actually doing something that is not only prayer, you are doing something that is physiologically healing. For your soul. The Christian therapist Adam, Smith, um, Adam uh, Young says that your right brain is the place where all of your negative emotions live. You know, fear, anger, disgust. But your left brain is the place, uh, well, well, and if you stay in that place, your right brain place, when you have those negative feelings of restlessness and agitation, then it can just really send you down into the pit and lead you to do some things that you regret. But if you begin to put language, if you begin to use your left side of the brain to put language to those emotions, and you begin to express those emotions through prayer to God, Adam says, literally, your brain becomes more integrated and healed. God is inviting you to healing by complaining to him, to bring your agitation to him, not just because he wants to listen to you, but because it's good for you. It's good for your brain. So try it when you feel frustrated, overwhelmed, lonely, angry this week, Lash out at God, right? Do some holy complaining. God wants to receive it. He can handle it. That's a resource he's given you for the journey of restlessness. Pray your complaints. Second, pursue the true north. Every journey needs a destination. When we feel restless, when we pack up our bags and get ready to go, where are you heading? What's the destination? What are you longing for? What are you after to make your restlessness go away? Some of us right now are just after getting back to normal. That's all I want. If we could just get through this, get past the quarantine, they could just find the vaccine, get to normal life, then I'll be okay again. Then this restlessness will be quieted. That's what some of us, that's what a lot of us want. Some of us are just longing for, you know, economic stability again, or when we can get back to the office, or when we can be with our grandkids again. Some of us are looking to satisfy our restlessness with just a new toy or a new tool or a new excursion. A friend of mine this week who's a builder told me that his um, request for home renovations has skyrocketed the last six weeks. And I asked him why, and he said because people are just sitting around looking at their homes 
and saying, I'm sick of this place, you know? I, let's finally get that kitchen that I want. Let's finally have that, that mudroom that has that better flow, right? We're all, we're all just looking for the next shiny thing that would satisfy and satiate the restlessness of our heart. And we all instinctually look to something to tame our restlessness. Henry Nowen is the best on this. I know I've used this quote with you before, but it's the best. He says this, aren't you, like me, hoping that some person, thing, or event will come along to give you that final feeling of inner well-being you desire? Don't you often hope, may this book, this idea, course, trip, job, country, relationship, fulfill my deepest desire? But as long as you are waiting for that mysterious moment, you will go on running, helter-skelter, always anxious, always restless, always lustful, angry, never fully satisfied. This is the compulsiveness that keeps us going and busy, but at the same time makes us wonder whether we are getting anywhere in the long run. This is the way to spiritual exhaustion and burnout. This is the way to spiritual death. Restlessness that is not directed to the right destination, to the true north of our souls, God alone, will always lead to exhaustion and spiritual death. So what does the psalmist do with his restlessness? He looks to God alone. I call on the Lord in my distress, he writes. I seek my help in God alone. His restlessness triggers his pursuit of God, the true north for his destination. It reminds me of what C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Problem of Pain. God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So when you feel distressed and agitated, realize it may be God's megaphone. Distress can be like smelling salts that awaken the soul to our need for God. Your heart will always be restless until it rests in him, as St. Augustine said. You can have everything you've ever wanted without God, and you will be like a restless, anxious vacuum, never satisfied, never filled. God alone is our destination. He alone will satisfy our souls. Listen, listen. I just got to speak to you frankly here, family. I know that a lot of you want to get back to normal. You just want to get back to a normal life. You want to get back to church the way it was. You want to get back to the world the way it was. I want it too. But I got to be, I got to be frank with you. And I know other people have said this too. We may not ever be getting back to normal. I mean, there's some stuff has happened in the last 14 weeks that will change the nature of our world forever. We may not be going back to the world as it was before. But you know what? For the Christian pilgrim, that's okay. It's okay because the pilgrims, the goal of the pilgrim is never to go back to normal. The goal of the pilgrim is always to get the next stage of the journey, to always get in the upward call as we work our way towards Jesus and his kingdom, that's the goal of the pilgrim. And so because we know we can never find satisfaction in this world as it is, so we are looking for the world as it will be, the journey that Jesus calls us on. Our hearts are never satisfied by anything in this world, but only God, is God alone who calls us through our restlessness to rest in him. So pursue the true north. Pray your complaints, pursue the true north. One last resource for the journey this psalm gives us, persevere for the long haul. 
You know, this psalm is a leaving song. It's the first step of a person on a journey to Jerusalem, and he's got a long way to go to get there, to get to the place where he can find rest. And this is the first step of 15 psalms, and it's going to be a long uphill grind, but with his heart set on God and a song and a step and his playlist going, he is ready for the long haul. You know, Eugene Peterson took the title of his famous book from the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, Uh, the atheist philosopher of all people, Nietzsche said this, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction that in the long run results in something which makes life worth living. And what he means by that is this, is that there's a certain kind of daily grind. There's a certain kind of difficult day-by-day, ordinary, strenuous, arduous work that will in the end make us look back on our life and feel like, you know what? Life was worth living. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. See, holiness, which is really just becoming the the person that God wants you to be, the person who resembles Jesus, that only comes through this long, arduous, persevering step-by-step, day-by-day journey as you ascend up the mountain to God. As, as, as the pastor Brian Loritz puts it, there are no microwaves in God's kitchen, only crockpots. You know, you, holiness does not come through sitting in a comfy chair and watching a worship service, I'm sorry to tell you. Holiness does not come through occasional inspirational experiences, but it comes through the long, hard ascent up the mountain, the upward journey towards Jesus and his kingdom. I hate running. Uh, um, I can't stand it, but I know it's good for me. And so every, twice a week, Tuesdays and Friday mornings, I show up at a 5.30 a.m. running group. And on Tuesdays, we meet at the University of Richmond, just over here. And, um, and about half the time, we run up this terrible hill, South Ridge, that starts way down at the bottom of the Huguenot Bridge and runs all the way up to river. And y'all, I hate it. I hate it. It is so long. It feels like it will never end. And when I stand there at the bottom and just take in the whole thing at once, I just feel like I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to quit. And so what I've been now accustomed to do is that I have little sections. First, I run to the mailbox. Then I run to the lamppost. Then I run to the big green lawn on the right. The sprinklers are always on. And then I run to the intersection of the street, and then finally I run up to the river. I take it in sections because when I think about it all at once, I'm overwhelmed. But when I think about it as one step along the journey, I know I can get there. Because let's be real. The journey that our master Jesus is calling us on is long and hard. We have so many foes, so many enemies. The world, the flesh, the devil, our sin, our past, the hurt and the pain and the trauma that we carry, the way that we've hurt other people, the way that other people have hurt us. We have painful and difficult circumstances. We have painful and difficult relationships. We have struggles in our families and our parenting and our jobs. We have tragedies and pain. We have illness and disease and death. We have difficult ethical challenges, difficult financial challenges. There's all the problems in the world, the injustice, the suffering, the pain, the sorrow. And thinking about this all at once is totally overwhelming. How can we make this journey? One step at a time. One section at a time. God doesn't call you to tackle everything at once, but to follow him in a long obedience in the same direction 
faithfully following him, surrendering to him every day, meditating on his word, meeting him face to face, meeting together, growing together, day after day, a long obedience in the same direction as we make our journey to the kingdom where we will see Jesus face to face. So are you overwhelmed with your own sin and not sure how you're going to overcome your addiction and your depression and your anxiety and your fear? Here's what you do. Take the next step day by day. Ask God for help. Fight temptation. Show up to your group. Call your friend. Call your sponsor. Long obedience in the same direction day by day. Are you sick with grief over the state of one of your relationships, your marriage, relationship with your kid, a colleague, and you don't know what to do? What do you do? day by day, step by step. Seek out help, go the way of love, do small acts of selfless kindness, be quick to repent, quick to forgive, long obedience, same direction. Are you just animated by this call to help heal our society of, of racial sin and racial injustice and you just feel totally overwhelmed by the enormity of the problem? What do you do day by day? Grow in your understanding, Humbly listen to other people tell their story. Courageously speak up. Prayerfully engage in healing work. Long obedience in the same direction, day by day by day. God isn't calling us to change ourselves and to change everything overnight. He's calling us to persevere a long obedience in the same direction, an upward journey from restlessness to rest. That's his call. So friends, as we close... Let's remember this, that as pilgrims on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus, we have an unspeakable advantage to the person who wrote this psalm. Because of the gospel, we know that the really decisive journey is not ours, but is, it belongs to Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote this, if we want to read and pray the psalms, we must not first ask what they have to do with us, but what they have to do with Jesus. Because Jesus sang these songs. And can you imagine and put yourself can you see Jesus singing Psalm 120? Can you see Jesus leaving the safe confines of heaven and entering into the deepest depths of human misery and woe? Can you see Jesus looking around, the Prince of Peace, surrounded by those who speak lies and who are for war and who hate him and despise him? Can you see Jesus on that long obedience in the same direction as he makes his way to Jerusalem? And when he finally gets there, instead of coming into the house of God, he goes up on the hill and is pinned to a wooden cross by the Roman authorities. Could you see Jesus doing that for you? And so what does it mean to follow that Jesus today? It means like Jesus, our journey will involve suffering and pain. It means that we will expect defeat and opposition. It means that we will be called, you are called daily to take up your cross and die. Die to your selfish ambitions, die to your selfish desires every single day. Yet it also means there is great freedom and joy in the way ahead. You don't have to get the journey exactly right. The decisive trip has already been made, not by you, but by Jesus. There's a yoke, but it's light. There's a burden, but it's easy. We will make some wrong turns. We're going to lose our way. We're going to have to readjust course again and again, but that's okay because we are not the ones who are going to rescue the world. We are not the ones who are going to reconcile the nations. We're not the ones who are going to bring in God's kingdom. The work we're called to do, the journey we're called to take, is to follow Jesus on that upward journey to his kingdom, following the one who leads us along and who knows the way because he has already traveled it for us. He holds us fast. 
So let's pack up our bags. Let's follow our Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the true pilgrim, that you left the heights of heaven, the glory of the Trinity, and you entered into the human depths of woe and sin and suffering, and that you allowed yourself to be surrounded by liars and curses and war, and you allowed yourself to be defeated and pinned to a cross, all so that we could be united to the Father and be forgiven. We pray now that as Jesus calls us to follow him, that we would also be willing to take up our cross and to go the hard road of Christian discipleship, going the way of the pilgrim, never being satisfied with being at home in this world as it is, and always looking to Jesus in the world that is to come. Help us to pray our complaints this week. Help us to pursue our true north, to not look to anything to satiate our souls except for you, and help us to persevere in the daily grind, looking to you again and again and again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.